We have been working through a series called Life and Doctrine over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to continue that conversation this morning. And this is the, the main verse that we've been highlighting, this watch your life and doctrine closely. We talked several weeks ago of God and how He in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, reveals much of who we are and how we are to live our lives in the context of relationships with one another. Last Sunday morning, we worked through the conversation of Scripture and how God has given His Word to us, both written Word and with much help through the might and power of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us, and how these two things, as they interplay with each other, shape our life as a Christ follower. This morning, we continue this conversation of life and doctrine because it's here where Paul, a much older Paul, is speaking to a much younger Timothy, saying, um, be careful how you live. Watch out for the things that you say. Uh, pay attention to the actions you do because these are the very things that reveal what you actually believe. So many of us in this room and listening online in the world in which we find ourselves, we will say one thing, but our lives reflect something completely different. And this is a very older, almost dead Christian man speaking to a very young Christian man saying, watch your life and doctrine closely. Because these things should marry. These things should say the same thing. So hence our conversation of watch your life and watch your doctrine closely. Because it reveals what you actually believe. Not what you say, but it reveals what you actually believe by how you carry yourself in your life. I'll give you an example. And we've been doing this every week. Giving you an example up front of how something in life should be shaped by a doctrine. And here's your example for this morning. If you believe that the money that you have in your wallet or your account is the money that you have earned because of your hard work and the talents that you have, then chances are you're going to spend your money the way that you see fit. You're going to use your money to acquire all the items that you want for you and yours. Or if you believe that the money that you have is a result of God's grace on your life, that it's through the gifts and talents that He has given you, then I, then we, together, we are going to handle our money inside of the design that God has created for us to handle our money with, where it would reflect His heart in all aspects of our life. Only when we understand this close relationship between life and doctrine can we, will we, rightly see our life grow in Christ and become a mature Christ follower. This series, this conversation, really is designed to put a finger on some of the essential doctrines that have been shaping Christians for the last 2,000 years. And my hope is that while we work through these conversations, that they would, by the Holy Spirit's power in your life, shape your life in one way or another. And so today, as Hannah has already alluded to in much of the lyric of the songs that we have sung, we're going to deal with the doctrine of creation. I believe this church believes that God is the creator of all things and that God has created everything that you see from absolutely nothing. The Latin phrase is creation ex nihilo and essentially what this is getting at is this idea that the God in whom we worship and serve didn't start with Plato that then he began to mold into what he wanted. He started with nothing. There was no initial building blocks. There was no initial matter. There was no kind of everything kind of crammed into a small little ball that then exploded that then he went to work with. It's that there was nothing. And God, by his voice, begins to speak things into existence. The sun, the moon, and the stars. 
the planets, the oceans, the birds, the seas, all the things that we would see that God by His voice through the Son and through the Spirit bring these things into being. Given what we talked about last week, where the Scriptures are trustworthy, I want to highlight for you some of the passages that speak to God being the Creator of all things. And we'll start early. This is in Genesis 1.1. It doesn't get any earlier than that. It reads this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You flip over to John 1. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Colossians 1.16, For in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. In Acts 17, in this incredible sermon that Paul preaches to a group of people in the city of Athens, he writes, The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. In Isaiah 40, the prophet Isaiah, through this series of rhetorical questions, asks, Do you not know? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? In Nehemiah 9.6, our last one that we'll highlight this morning reads this, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, even the highest heavens. And they are the starry hosts, the earth and all that is in it, and the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything. Christians, Christ followers, for the last 2,000 years have believed that God has created the world and that He created it from nothing. And there are all kinds of conversations that we could have working through this particular doctrine. But this morning, I want to have almost two distinct conversations about this one. The two parts are really divided into this first one where it's really talking about the public square. And we'll get to the second one in a little bit, but I want to talk to you about the conversation that unfolds in our culture on this particular point. Have you ever noticed, have you ever wondered why there seems to be an argument, some animosities, a fight between kind of like church and culture as we discuss the conversation of origins, where everything started? There's always been a a spirit of hostility between these two around where did everything come from? The culture looks at people of faith and they think we're fools for suggesting that there is a being that has, through his words, spoken everything into, into place. The church, in the same spirit, looks at the world and calls them fools and and that's not helping our cause, but we use the same language as we speak around, well, how could you not believe this? Like, you're an idiot. I mean, we just have the same kind of dialogue back with them. And we, we refuse to try to bring these conversations together. I want to, if nothing else, I want to help you realize why there will forever be hostility around this conversation. And it's up on the screen, and you can follow along with me. And here's why there's hostility between church and culture on this point. If there is a creator, then there is a design. If there is a design, then there are implications for my life. I'll read that again. We'll go back. If there is a creator, then there is a design. And if there is a design, then there are implications for my life. Right away, you can see why this is such a significant piece of conversation. If there isn't a creator, well, then there's no design. And if there's no design, then I can live my life however I want. 
If there's no creator, then there's no design. And if there's no design, I can figure it out as I go. I can do and become and be whatever it is that I want to be. Now, in the public square, the church has to learn how to bring correct information into the conversation filled with a spirit of grace and truth. We have to find clever ways to bring God and faith into our classrooms. We have to find clever ways to bring God and faith into our coffee shops. We have to find clever and unique grace-filled ways to, if nothing else, put the information before people and trust God, the Holy Spirit, to do what He does in people's lives and hearts. Here's an easy way to do this. This is just one of many, so we'll just, we'll just go down this road together. Historically speaking, the greatest scientific minds on the earth argued for a God. They argued for a creator. They argued for a designer. They argued that there is someone who stands behind all that is that we see. This is true from history. Here's a few of them. First guy is a guy named Galileo. If you're a teacher, this is an easy way to bring this conversation into your classroom that is accurate, historically true information that you can just say it and leave it. And if someone's going to get mad at you, well, all you're doing is teaching historical figures and what they thought and what they believed and what shaped their life. Galileo, he's the father of modern science. His big thing was that the earth is rotating around the sun, not the other way around, where everyone thought that the earth was the center of the universe and that everything revolved around us until this gentleman came along and proved through science that that's not the case, that the sun is in fact the center of the universe. In a tweet from Galileo, it's on the next slide, um, at Santa's beard 400 years ago, um, mathematics is the language in which God has written the universe. Here is a profound man of God who loves Christ, was a profound scientific thinker, and shaped much of our scientific thought, and grounds all of his science and discovery through a lens of there is a creator, and understood this to be true. And another one, Francis Bacon, he is the founder of the scientific method. This is the whole conversation of like we make an observation of something, we ask a question, we form a hypothesis, we, to answer the question, we make a prediction, we do an experiment, and we figure out how it goes, and then we do it all over again. This is from Francis Bacon, and he tweets this um, at Real Bacon 400 years ago. He says this, uh, God has, in fact, written two books, not just one. Of course, we are all familiar with the first book he wrote, namely Scripture, but he has written a second book called Creation. Third guy, his name's Thomas Aquinas. He's the one that has this huge paper on the five reasons for God that you can find in his work, Summa Theologica. He's the guy that argues that God is the first cause in all that we would see. That it's through his creation, his act of speaking things into being, that have set everything into motion. And many great minds, even to this day, as they, as they kind of probe the outer reaches of the galaxies, would argue that God's voice is still echoing through the universe, creating new planets and new stars and new aspects that we're still seeing His voice go forward. Which I'm completely on board with because this, this church particularly, God's voice of creation continues to unfold. It's called your children, where He's continually bringing about new life in all kinds of wonderful and spectacular ways. Thomas Aquinas, in a tweet where his, you can find it at the real Tommy Boy 400 years ago, um, God is an artist. 
and the universe is his work of art. Just so you're aware, these are not real Twitter handles. Like, I'm, I'm making these up. Some of you are like, how do you gotta add them to my Twitter feed? Like, they're, they're dead. Like, they're long gone. These are just three of the biggest names in science historically. All of them were people who followed God and believed in Jesus Christ. And here's a, a quick list of a few more. Blaise Pascal. If you're wondering kind of like where calculus and some of the more complex mathematical classes that you take in high school, it's him. And he would say to you, you're welcome. Like this is kind of where it came from. Isaac Newton, Johann Kepler, Nicholas Copernicus, Rene Descartes, and the list goes on and on and on. A clever way to bring God into a classroom or a coffee shop to try to bring these tensions together is to say these people that were significant shapers of our scientific community were all people who believed in a creator, all people who believed in God. And it was their faith in God that drove their understanding of science. It drove their heart to discover all the wonder and mystery and incredible beauty that is woven into God's creation. This is still true today. We don't have to go back 400 years ago. There are still men and women that are profound voices in the scientific community that are deep followers of Jesus Christ. Here, here's one guy. Uh, this is Dr. Francis Collins. Um, he is responsible for discovering several genes that are the root cause of diseases that we struggle with and has been a part of conversations that have helped bring about different ways to cure these diseases. His big claim to fame is that he is the lead voice on the group that kind of mapped the human genome. Like, that's a level of science that most of us will never get to. And this is Francis Collins, a devout Christ follower, and he tweets. Now, he actually has a Twitter handle. This is not it. I just thought this was better. At the real stash. Um, uh, the God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in a cathedral or in a laboratory. His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate, and beautiful. Here's a few other modern-day scientists that are significant Christ followers that live their life in the scientific arena that all argue for God being creator. John Eccles, he's a professing Christian. He's a Nobel Peace Prize winner in the area of chemistry and biochemistry. He writes this. He says, I think only an idiot. Now, this is, I would change the language, but he says, only an idiot can be an atheist. Again, I would change the language to be more grace-filled. Um, we must admit that there exists an incomprehensible power or force with limit, limitless foresight and knowledge that started the whole universe going forward in the first place. Another professor named Warner Archer, a professing Christian, Nobel Peace Prize winner in the area of medicine and molecular genetics, he writes, I do not think that our civilization has succeeded in discovering and explaining all the principles acting in the universe. I include the concept of God among these principles. I know that the concept of God has helped me master many questions in my life. It guides me in critical situations, and I see it confirmed in many deep insights into the beauty of the functioning of our living world. Christ followers here and listening online, we have to become clever at how we bring these conversations into our coffee shops and into our classrooms. We have to do it through kind of humble and gentle spirit, but to assume and, and this, is the, this is the angst that's here. To assume that there is no space for faith and science to be married together is foolish. That's a foolish idea. This has been woven together for the last 2,000 years, and it continues to be woven together. So when someone talks of science, yes and amen to science. I'm all for that. 
But I also want to bring in voices of men and women who believe deeply that there is a creator who are also significant voices shaping all that shapes our life in this particular area. There is a clever way in which we can do this, where we're presenting correct and right information, whether it's from history or present day, in a classroom, in a coffee shop, to just leave people thinking about that this actually might be a reality, that this might be a possibility, that there is a, a being, there is God, who has spoken things into existence. This is the end of this kind of first part of the conversation of public square. And then we're going to move into this private part, this personal life. And again, we'll throw this up there because this is going to be uncomfortable in a, in a quick moment, and, and you'll see why. Um, if there is a creator, then there is a design. And if there's a design, then there are implications for my life. If there isn't a creator, then there is no design. And if there's no design, then I can live my life however I want. At the start of this conversation, and this is where it turns awkward quick, at the start of this conversation, we spoke of money. There are two conversations in church life that make people uncomfortable. Money is one, sex is the other. Money people don't want me to talk about, but people, everyone wants me to talk about sex, but they don't want me to use them as the illustration. Um, so we spoke of money. If you were a Christ follower, grounding our conversation of money in the doctrine of creation, my ability... Your ability to work, to earn a wage, to make the money that you have, the gifts and talents that you have, they have nothing to do with you. There is never a moment, and science has proven this, there's never a moment while I am in the womb where I can like put my order in for my mom. Like, this is what I want to look like, this is what I want to be like, these are the talents that I want to have. Like, there's never, science has, has figured that out. There's never a moment where the human life that's being formed kind of like knocks on the womb. It's like, I'd like to be six foot two. I would like to, like, there's never this moment. All of these things that we become as we grow as men and women, God has wired us up this way. God is the one who has given you your skill sets. God is the one who has given all of your capacities that you have to learn and grow. God is the one who gives you the ability to expand those skill sets. All of your ability, all of my ability to make money doesn't flow out of a random evolutionary process. It all comes from a creator who has made you, who has knit you together in your mother's womb. Watch your life and doctrine closely. And here's where the awkward question comes, and it's on purpose, because I love you. Does your life look like you are the author of your wealth and treasure? Or do you steward the money and treasure you have been given by God in such a way that it reflects His heart? The one who has given you all that you have in the first place. If we fail at grounding the conversation of our treasure and our wealth and our material things in Creator, inside a design that He has made, then money is going to forever be a struggle in our lives. And to give an example of what I mean, grounded inside the doctrine of creation, this doctrine speaks to a design, which we've alluded to several times. And that I, I, we could have picked anything. We could have picked marriage. We could have picked any relationship, parenting, um, sexuality. We're just, we're just talking about money. There's all kinds of things that we could ground and use as the example. Because if there is a designer, if there is a creator, 
then it just goes far beyond arguing for where did it all come from. It actually moves into the day-to-day that, that yes and amen to where the stars came from, yes and amen to where the moon came from, but even more than that, what are all the intricate designs inside the doctrine of creation? Because it speaks to a whole bunch of layers. The relationship between the sun and the moon and the oceans, that's part of God's design woven into creation. How I treat my wife and how I raise my children, that's part of God's design. How I do all of my life all speaks to the doctrine of creation because there is a design in mind and as a Christ-following man, I want to grow in this and lean into it in all aspects of my life. If I refuse to acknowledge this piece as it relates to my money, it's going to be a struggle. If I lean into and celebrate God's design as it relates to money, I will experience freedom. Not because I'm wealthy and rich, but I will experience freedom from its power over my life. I will experience financial stability regardless of where you find yourself in the tax bracket. And you'll find yourself growing in generosity. My parents, if there is one thing that they did really, really well, and they did many things well, but this is one that I'm so thankful that they started early in our life teaching us God's design for money and how we handle money because it creates spaces for my wife and I now that we experience this freedom that the Scriptures speak to. And it's not because we're rich. That is not it. It's just we've come to land and live inside of God's design as it relates to these things. If you don't ground your conversation of money in God's creation, His design, your life will be filled with different struggles and problems. Here's here's two of them. Problem one, and this is targeted at those of you listening here and online who think that you don't make enough money. You'll be fooled by the world's messages of you're richer than you think. And then you look at your account and you're like, no, I'm broker than I know. Like it's, it's, we, get, we get lost kind of in this space. We, we believe, uh, and I think these commercials are brilliant uh, for all the wrong reasons. You believe that you deserve great delivery. That somehow you're so awesome that some 16-year-old kid needs to go to Tim Hortons and pick up your stuff and bring it to you because you're that lazy. Like you begin to believe this lie that you deserve great delivery. The next layer to this is someone's going to come to your home and make you your meal because that's how awesome you are. We are trained and indoctrinated that you are this amazing and that everything serves you. Like uh, Amazon Prime, I love it and hate it because if it's not there in two days, I'm like, what gives? Don't they know that I need this for my life? Like it, it trains us in all the ways that are counter to God's design. Another great line that we fall prey to is because you're worth it. And we begin to believe all of these messages that our culture tells us. And the problem for this person who who lives in a space where they think they don't make enough money, they believe these lies and all of a sudden they begin taking vacations that they can't afford. They eat out often more than they should. They buy things on, on credit cards. Oh, we'll just get it later. We'll just get it later. The wants that we have, we deceive ourselves into thinking that they're needs. And this is the space this person comes to through time. And it leads to a life of financial ruin. 
That life is filled with frustration. How do I know? Because I counsel many of them. It leads to anxiousness. How do I know? Because they sit in my office and they express their anxiousness about the state that they're in. They are slaves to their work because we can't miss a paycheck because they are already far beyond their means. And they live in a world of robbing Peter to pay Paul just to get through another 30-day cycle of their life. For those who think that they don't make enough money, it often has nothing to do with how much money you make. It has everything to do with how, the, how you spend the money that you do make. And those are very painful conversations, particularly for Christ followers, because we've never really linked God's design for my treasure with the day-to-day wallet activity of your lives. But these are married together in profound ways. Watch your life and doctrine closely. If God is the one who has given and created and made me, then that means all of my capacities, all that it is that I do, all that I have and am, are coming from Him. And that shapes all the areas of our life. The other problem, and this is really targeted at those who know that they make good money. And our church has both categories. You too are fooled by the messages of you deserve great delivery. Because you're like, I do, I do deserve great delivery. This is my title. This is my office. This is my paycheck. The problem that you will succumb to is that you fall into the category of we just build bigger barns for ourselves. And ironically, this same life leads to the same spaces of financial ruin. Um, I love the show Dragon's Den. Uh, Not because of necessarily the products that they're there, because from a theological perspective, it is on point with what God says to be true about the human life. Kevin O'Leary, like Mr. Wonderful, um, that man probably makes more money in a day than this whole room combined. And I've never met anyone who is a more slave to money than someone who speaks as though it set him free. Like, it is ironic that someone who has this much money is only concerned about more. How do I make money? How do I make money? And when you read biographies and you read stories, much of the personal life has really evaporated and disintegrated. If God is the one who has made us, then all of our gifts, all of our talents, all of our ideas to be in business and to create business, which are good and wonderful and godly things, and to make as much money as you can, like those are all good and godly things. However, when all of a sudden these things start to then pour into our wallets, what do we do with what we have been given that God has made it so in our life? It becomes incredibly difficult to honor God with our treasure if we are living beyond our means and if we're captivated by greed, leading to a life of financial ruin. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Flowing from the doctrine of creation, I understand with my treasure, and this is a very personal thing, I know that, and you can take it for how you want to take it. I know that I am taught by God, by my parents, and now as a father with my own kids, live inside your means. Live inside your means. That's God's design for you. Not because He doesn't want you to get great delivery, but because He doesn't want you to pay 19.9% on a burger that's $9. Because He understands the outworking of that in your life over time. He wants us to stay in this space. He wants us to pay our bills on time. 
all part of our witness. It is heartbreaking when I listen to people who deal with Christians on a business level. We are the worst tippers. We sometimes take the longest to pay our bills. And we argue and we fight and it is a terrible witness for the glory of God when we live our lives this way because it ultimately comes back to we didn't think this through and now we're in a jam. And now we've got to figure it out as we go forward. Watch your life and doctrine closely. With the treasure that I've been given, I've been called to be generous with it. Towards things that are very near and dear to the heart of God. These, these teens that were leading us in worship. I'm generous here. I know many of you are generous here in this church because it helps cultivate this generation in what they're doing in their life as they grow as young men and women. That's why we encourage you to give to missions because these things are near and dear to the heart of God to put before you opportunities for you to figure out and lean into God's design for your treasure. And when we do, we get to live in this space, this full space of I understand what I have and where it comes from. I'm thankful for all that I have. I I use all that's been given to me to further the work of God. And and Christ followers who understand this, they use their homes differently. They have people around their tables often. They love having meals with people. They are generous with all kinds of things that they have that go far beyond just their wallet. If there is a creator, then there is a design. And if there is a design, there are implications for my life. And this is true as it relates to marriage. This is true as it relates to parenting. This is true as it relates to our money, our sex lives, and on and on and on it goes. We argue, Christ followers argue and fight for the origins of the beginning of the earth. Not simply to say this is where seagulls came from. We argue for this because it has significant implications for our daily lives. Because there's a design behind everything. Not just the sun and the moon and the stars and the tides and the waters and the wind and migration habits of birds and animals and all the things that happen with plant life. All that's true. But we get down to the nitty-gritty of God, the Creator, the One who has designed all things, has a design for every layer of our life. And it has implications for me as a Christ follower. Watch your life and doctrine closely. These things must begin to line up. If we keep reading that verse, it says, because you will save yourselves and the ones who are watching you. Would you pray with me? And our team's going to come back and we have some one more song. Our gracious and heavenly Father, you are the one who spoke all things into being. Let there be light. And there's light. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. You were the one that spoke of plants and animals and human beings and all that we would see. And woven into this design are these other layers of creation. This design that you had in mind for your world to function. As a Christ follower, it is our desire or ought to be our desire to come to discover these. And then begin to look at our life and realize, okay, what part of my life does not line up with what you're inviting me to participate in for your glory and for my joy? God, it's my prayer this morning that we would just continue to be a church family 
that has a heart to discover these things and move in this direction. I know, like several weeks ago, we talked about forgiveness. That's hard. And by Your Spirit, we move in this space. Last week, we talked about this beautiful reality and relationship between the spoken Word and the written Word and how it shapes our life. This morning, we we talked about money and other things. May we be a people that lean into these realities. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen.